Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Friday. Uh, welcome back to, I'm not sure what we're calling it this week, because it's not really a preview to anything. So uh, just the, the Pink and Friday show, I suppose. We've had to take preview out of the name. Um, we're going to be talking, obviously, everything about Norwich City's postponement, answering your questions as well. So wherever you're watching, uh, do get some in for me and Paddy to answer. Otherwise, this could end up being a relatively short broadcast. Um, but we'll, of course, uh, be talking about the, the COVID stuff as well, which is probably uh, probably where we'll start. Of course, if you haven't seen it, if you've if you've missed it for whatever reason, Norwich City's game uh, against West Ham United scheduled for tomorrow has been uh, postponed. That was the case last night uh, due to a combination of an increase in COVID cases in the camp, also because of injuries and uh, illness as well, which uh, which we'll get into very very shortly um paddy let's uh let's let's bring you in it's uh an odd occasion where we're doing a broadcast where there's there's no actual game to talk about no press conference to talk about um it feels a little bit bizarre does, does it feel for you i've seen a lot of people say this, saying that this period that football is in at the moment forget everything else at the moment it, it feels a little bit kind of where we were in in march 2020 where it feels like we're all kind of waiting for something to happen but not really sure what it is or what it looks like at this moment in time yeah, you just stole my thunder there, Connor. That very much feels, yeah, I was trying to think actually because it was the Sheffield United game at that point was the last one, last the away game. Then it was Leicester, wasn't it, at Carr Road? And I think I've got my timeline right. It was it was thereafter. But yeah, it does feel we're in a similar pattern. You know, I've just checked again the fixture tomorrow and there's only two as we sit here on Friday lunchtime still going ahead. Um they being Leeds Arsenal and if you can think of the other one I've got it here, Villa Burnley. So, you know, five other games as we sit here today are off. Um, and who knows if those two will go ahead because the pace that this is moving at, and you saw it probably most noticeably for me this week with the the Leicester Tottenham cancellation, which, you know, the day before Brendan Rodgers was pretty unhappy that the Premier League had turned down certainly their request, clarification, to whatever phrase you want to put on it. But certainly it's reading between the lines. Brendan Rodgers felt that Leicester shouldn't be playing that game. And then you fast forward it a period of hours and, and the game was off. There was the was it the Watford-Burnley game that went very late. The, the Man yeah. United-Brentford game that went relatively late as well in terms of proximity to kickoffs. And yeah, it just feels that the Premier League are being buffeted as the people who, who are the arbiters of these decisions on which games go ahead and which don't. And um, and they're trying as best they can to put procedures in place that can get them almost ahead of what feels like, yeah, uh, an escalation in case numbers. And if we're led to believe from what the medical people tell us, that that'll filter through then into hospitalisations and, and sadly the worst beyond that. So, yeah, it, in scale... Um, it does feel like we're on the precipice of quite a worrying in terms of society again. And obviously, you know, we're all being told to go and get those boosters if we've got our first two jabs. Um, but narrowed down into football matters and, uh, you know, the insignificant significance of the football in all our lives uh, and Norwich City within that. Yeah, that obviously no game tomorrow. And I don't think with any huge confidence we can forecast at this stage that the Boxing Day game goes ahead because the rate with which this is now moving uh, would indicate that any hard or fast judgments at this stage are very premature. I just worked up some of Mikel Arteta quotes this morning. Um, they're playing Leeds tomorrow, Saturday evening kickoff. Um, and he's reporting this morning that uh, their latest round of testing came back negative. But even then, in the next breath, his caveat is, well, that's the situation here and now. But who knows tomorrow? Who knows the start of next week? Um, 
and we'll probably get into a bit more depth, you know, what the situation is with Norwich right now. But but ultimately, yeah, to answer your question, Connor, it does feel that we're right back at the start of that Sheffield United sort of Leicester period, which, as we all remember, kind of led to two and a half, three months of, of no activity at all. And then, then the, the Premier League reactivated for what was known as Project Restart. Let's not sort of try and extrapolate. We're going to go into the same pattern because you'd hope the difference now is the vaccination rates um, and the scale of the vaccinations. And uh, and also that surely, purely in terms of Premier League and clubs, they must be better prepared this time around for what this is all about, the impact on their key staff, football players, obviously coaching staff, the support staff, and that they can mitigate where possible, you know, clearly five postponements tomorrow and, and the raft of postponements that started kind of with Tottenham really from, from last week. And then you look further down below the Premier League, the amount of games that have gone in the Football League this coming weekend. You know, ultimately, these clubs can do every procedure that they feel they can from a health and sports science point of view, and it still won't be enough. So, you know, very, very troubling times generally, but certainly in terms of football, because it it doesn't feel at the minute, and we might drill down into this, but the Premier League, you know, the, again, Mikhail Arteta, where is the clarity? What constitutes postponing a game as opposed to one that continues on? I don't think that's been put out in the public domain. We don't know. Is there a, is there an arbitrary number of cases within a club, within a, a squad or the football side of a football club that constitutes that game is off, that game is on? Or is it really just on a case-by-case basis and the Premier League taking into account, you know, wider issues, you know, like United and Tottenham, reportedly their training ground had to be closed was that a bigger factor in the final decisions why those games have been postponed recently? It just feels at the minute that, you know, the Premier League aren't quite on top of this and they need to get on top of this because this isn't going away. And, and the reality is everything points to it could probably get a lot worse. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good. And I don't think it's, it's good from an image perspective either. Um, and we've seen it throughout kind of this pandemic so far when, when cases rise in society, they tend to rise in football. And I guess that's probably a natural reflection of, of how things are generally. As you say, things are slightly different, although I think the EFL released some statistics yesterday that showed that footballers who, who play in the EFL aren't particularly well vaccinated in the grand scheme of things. I couldn't um, cite the exact figures right now, but they weren't particularly strong. I think it was about 25% or, or so that hadn't been vaccinated at, at, at this stage and had no interest in, in, in getting vaccinated. So, again, we, we kind of reflect on on that issue. We know, because Dean Smith said it, that Norwich City are a fairly well vaccinated squad. It doesn't um, stop outbreaks and, and and as well it probably lends us nicely to move on to Norwich because what we're talking about here ultimately isn't just a culmination of a high number of COVID cases we're also talking about injuries and illnesses on top of that which ultimately has compounded them to a very limited squad um, and you mentioned there the Premier League well what does it what what constitutes a game being postponed what's the threshold of of cases or whatever and I suppose it depends because if a club has three goalkeepers missing that's probably enough to to see a game postponed whereas maybe if a club had 13 cases but seven of the cases were in the staff and and they were maybe shared between the first team uh, and the staff then maybe that's a bit more manageable so maybe there does need to be flexibility in in, in these things um but equally, when you've got a few Premier League managers coming out and Dean Smith said this the other night, that they needed clarity. Obviously, Norwich sought some guidance ahead of that Aston Villa game on Tuesday. I think if that game would have taken place 24, 48 hours after it did, I, I think that probably would have fallen victim to to this as well. So 
In terms of Norwich's situation, probably slightly different to someone like Manchester United, who uh, reports suggesting now it's as, as many as, as, as 21 cases that they're reporting across their Carrington base. Obviously, they have a, a huge number of staff there, so it wouldn't, wouldn't just be amongst their first-team squad. Um, but Norwich City are getting knocked a little bit because of the COVID cases that they have, which have increased, but also because of injuries as well, Pad. Exactly that, Connor. And, um, you know, this isn't just just about the COVID and, and the ongoing impact on the squad, um, which is clearly there. Obviously, you know, we're not going to get into details of individuals. None of the other clubs have uh, put any of those names out. You talk about United and their case rates, um, but you're ultimately getting into, you know, confidentiality of, of players uh, from a medical standpoint. So, you know, we don't know a specific number within the group who are unavailable in terms of Norwich that are directly impacted by COVID. What we do know, obviously, is Christos Solis uh, was self-isolating. That was confirmed by Dean after the game. And that three others, Rupp, Lise Malou, Sargent, were, were unavailable midweek against Villa for COVID-related issues. But, uh, but there was also others displaying symptoms who, at that point, uh, attested negative. So, yep, that, as you rightly said, that was our understanding. If that that game had been Thursday night as opposed to when Tuesday night, I think it's pretty clear with the more clarity uh, provided by another 24-48 hours, that game wouldn't have taken place. Um, led to believe right now there's only nine players available to train at Colney as we as we stand. And and that ultimately tells you uh, that's not enough to, to go out and try and play a game of Premier League football or any game of football professionally for that matter. So that's senior players. Um, and yeah, there is, as we know, quite a large proportion of guys who are injured rather than illness. Um, but if you take the cumulative total, then you're getting now to the realms with Norwich that they're not able to to compete or, or put a, a recognisable senior first-team team on the pitch. And one can only hope that that, that situation does clear um, to the point that, you know, when, hopefully, rather than if Arsenal... Boxing Day continues and as scheduled, then Norwich will be in a far healthier position. I think it ultimately, I saw, saw Liam's question there, did they try and postpone the Villa game? They certainly sought clarification. When I put it in those terms to Dean Smith, did you try and cancel it? He didn't really want to go down that route on Tuesday night. Um, but, you know, reading between the lines, if, if you were concerned about A, rising case numbers or B, players exhibiting symptoms then I'm sure that would have formed part of a wider conversation. And there's no doubt, uh, even on Tuesday night, Dean Smith was asked immediately after the game, will West Ham go ahead? And he more or less said the next 24, 48 hours from Tuesday night would be pretty much defining. And as we sit here now on Friday afternoon, that's proved to be the case. So um, not a great situation for Norwich, but by definition, you look at around the league and other clubs are now having to deal with this to a greater or lesser degree. And really... Um, you know, it's just how you manage the situation moving forward. But again, the backstop in all of this debate, as much as we look at it through a Norwich perspective, is what are the Premier League going to do? Are they, as Thomas Frank was asking for, going to reach the point where it needs to be a circuit break? And how long is that circuit break? Um, because then also Arteta today has been talking about the, the competition and the integrity of the competition and the fairness of the competition. If some teams are having to play and deal with these situations and others aren't having to play that, does skewer the competitive element of the competition and 
of course, we all know it's implicit that you know those broadcasters will not want a, a shutdown over Christmas because um, of how important the, the the raft of games, live games, are to their schedule. So, you know whether you, whether you want to take that on board or not, that will be a factor in any discussions because they're such a huge stakeholder in the game. So, yeah, for many reasons, to reiterate what we said at the start of this discussion, it does feel like a lot of the ground has already been covered from the start of the the pandemic. Um, and maybe that's just where we are now, you know, with with all these variants, uh, particularly ones that are seemingly far more transmissible. Um, we're going to be back here again in a sporting and a football context. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I don't think any of us can really categorically sit here today and say that Boxing Day game will go ahead. It will very much now be on a day-to-day basis. And um, all you hope is that, the protocols that Norwich are putting in place have put in place, uh, which are now ramping up considerably, um, irrespective of the Premier League's guidance about daily testing. And as Dean Smith said, you know, limiting meetings indoors, mask wearing uh, as a requirement, even the soft massage, soft tissue massaging element as well, trying to limit that where possible. Very difficult when you've got a growing number of injured players, but all of those things they can do to try and mitigate, they are doing, but it still might not be enough. And they have a, a COVID sort of officer on site, don't they, from the Premier League external to them to make sure those rules are being enforced to try and help limit outbreaks as well. Uh, on top of that, um, uh, as you said earlier, um, Norwich, uh, all, all their staff now at the Colney base, getting tested on a on a daily basis. That's that's PCR tests and that's sort of off their own back as well, as, uh, as well as kind of the mandatory Premier League testing. So they're trying to get a handle on this. And... We mentioned earlier, uh, and you, you touched upon it, about training grounds being closed. Norwich haven't done that. There's two games taking place there this afternoon. The under-18s and the under-23s are, are playing later on this evening. Um, so they have not taken that step as of yet. And we'll get into perhaps more of the injury stuff. But just to pick up on the financial point you raised, I suppose it's also a bit more of a fragile time because a lot of clubs, Norwich included in that, have suffered as a result of fans not being allowed to attend because of um, broken broadcast deals, even though they did get Project Restart um, over the line. Norwich have, have recorded themselves a, a £30 million hole because of COVID and the implications and, and effects of that. So the Premier League in their latest statement, which was yesterday, um, sort of reiterated their determination to continue to persist with what they were doing, despite, uh, what was it, four games yesterday being postponed. Um it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because ultimately, football is a business. The Premier League is a business. We all know that. But equally, at what point do we get to and how many games do we get to? And you mentioned the integrity of the competition before the Premier League actually has that decision taken out of their of their hands. It's, it's a very dangerous sort of tightrope that they're trying to walk in terms of actually trying to go ahead as if everything is OK, when actually the numbers and the increase in infection, not just at Norwich, across the league, suggests that at the moment it isn't but then as Thomas Frank said is a fire break going to be going to be the right way because ultimately they come back in a week time and if the infection rate is still high in the country would that really do much is the only way to really ensure that they weren't um, susceptible to infection to keep them in bubbles again but then that's not really viable because of obviously the time of year it is a lot of them will, uh, will want to see families they're human beings as well of course it's a really difficult one to know how they manage it and what sort of steps they take in order to bring down those kind of rates of infection. Well, I mean, all I would add to that is um, ultimately football is is an industry, uh, essentially. 
but the lead on this has to come. I know we don't need to go down a political tangent, but ultimately the government have to set the lead, and uh, and it's the government who will instruct every aspect of our world uh, in terms of with all the advice that they've got available to them, the scientific advice, um, the impact on the NHS potentially from you know escalating case numbers and the pressure that's been put on that facet as well. Uh, that the Premier, if the Premier League themselves aren't going to, you know, get to a point where they they feel they're going to make some calls around cancelling games, maybe let's be honest, it probably has to be discussed. You know, games continuing, but is it behind closed doors again? Are we are we getting back to those levels, or is at least that is that something that's being discussed behind closed doors? But all of that is largely irrelevant if the government say right enough enough. This is. This has now got to a point where we need to essentially lock down again and what a lockdown looks like. I mean, as you were talking there, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's almost like they, they're very, well, we know, they're, they're very loath this government to reimpose the sort of draconian measures that we all had to live through because politically it's hugely damaging and they're getting enough uh, smacks from, from various quarters anyway, this government and this prime minister. But you look at the hospitality sector now, you know, they're, at a time of year where they were hoping probably to to make up for the the losses that they made this time last year, and um, you know any news article you want to watch, you know you, restaurants, pubs, whatever, the bookings have just gone through the floor. People are cancelling. People don't want to be in that environment, um, and they're crying out for some government assistance now. I see the talk again is about financial assistance from the hospitality sector and, and even reinstating the furloughing scheme, um, and. In a similar regard, you know, football needs guidance, it needs clear guidance, whether it's the DCMS, the, the relevant government department, or whether it's, you know, from uh, the character in number 10 at the minute and, and his cabinet as well. Because, you know, ultimately, if the government are essentially sending the message that it's still okay to keep things open and keep things going as they are, then I'd imagine the Premier League will continue because the Premier League is an entity, for those reasons you state, the financial particularly, uh, and the impact on clubs, they won't want to um, you know, pull up the drawbridge. Uh, and that was implicit in that statement you, you, you quoted from last night, that where where they can, they will keep keep games played and, and keep fans in the grounds. I thought it was very interesting. I saw a bit of a Brighton-Watford game, uh, sorry, Brighton-Wolves uh, yeah, game midweek. And I know the attendance was given as whatever the official amount of tickets sold but there was a hell of a lot of empty seats at Brighton the other night um, and that is that people now making their own decisions their own personal responsibility as Chris Whitty, the Chief Medical Officer I think is his title, said the other day that almost the onus is now on the personal responsibility to, to limit your interactions, limit your contacts decide what's important to you and as you rightly said you know, this time of year it's probably seeing your family over Christmas and if so you know, things that can maybe slip down a pecking order and possibly going to football is one of those. But there was certainly a lot of empty seats of Brian. Less so, I thought, at Liverpool last night. But, um, you know, is it is it almost now, as a government, with the onus is now on individuals, firstly, but also bodies like the Premier League to, to essentially self-police this? But uh, for me, I don't see how uh, you can basically... Um, take your hand off the tiller and leave it to other bodies just to crack on. I think there needs to be far more uh, guidance now coming from uh, government bodies and uh, because ultimately they're in receipt of the health information. You know, what is the state of play with this latest variant particularly? And and if if they feel, looking at the modelling, that it, it's probably going to turn in a negative direction, the case numbers and the hospitalisations and the deaths, let's be honest, then 
very hard to see why Premier League football should be continuing for me. So, um, yeah, uh, ultimately, this will boil down to some leadership from government, I think. Yeah, it does feel like if, if things persist as they are, we're heading for almost restrictions by stealth, really. There's, there's not going maybe not going to be any by law, but ultimately you're going to have so many people either self-isolating or actually testing positive for it that society isn't going to be functioning in a, in a normal way anyway. So that, I suppose, is, is probably the fear. And then there's, there's probably underscoring all of this, the ethical debate for footballers, which is you're essentially asking footballers to enter a, a climate, a working environment where they are putting themselves at risk of contracting the virus, which can have implications for their health. We saw it firsthand with with uh, Shemek Poheta, who, of course, had had, had the heart issues um, from, from the COVID infection. Um, there, there are numerous players as well who who have ended up in hospital. There are some who are dealing, not not Norwich, obviously, but there are some who are dealing with with long COVID throughout the game as well. Um, you have to look at Carl Darlo, I think it was, who who, who went to hospital. There, there are some, um, again, Poeta, probably an example of, of, of one of the long COVID ones. Marco Steepman, who came out and, and said he felt that he was, um, he, he was suffering from that. So it's a very difficult, and interesting, I suppose, to see where the Premier League goes, because, as you said, unless ultimately there is um, some direction, some leadership from government about what happens, then football will be forced, I suppose, with the rest of society to just kind of float along waiting for a decision to be made. And until that decision is made, be it by the prime minister, the government, the cabinet, um, the the scientists, the the advisors, whatever, then it's um, it's a very difficult one. And on top of that, Again, is is probably the debate of well, does football want to go behind closed doors? Because we we know everyone who's attended a football game knows knows that a game behind closed doors isn't the same experience. It does have an impact on on on, on not just the game but also the people attending. Uh, a lot of people attend for reasons that benefit their mental health. People will see it as a priority to go back to to what Chris City uh, Chris Whitty said earlier this week, as as Craig Brooks says there. Um, Football is a release for a lot of people. It has been a, an escape through the last few months of what has been a pretty difficult situation in, in the outside world. It is escapism. So all of these things are very difficult to weigh up as we enter a period where there's usually so much football to watch and consume and write about and talk about and uh, go into stadiums to watch. So I guess it's a difficult one to really know the answer to to, to where we are with that. Just to, to steer this back onto Norwich them pads um we, we kind of mentioned obviously the players who aren't available it's worth noting as well the players who currently are available of of the nine as you said uh, two of those one i mentioned a minute ago poheta um who has um again without having sort of access to his physical data we can only go off what we see but he has looked visibly tired in the last two games at certain points and that's probably understandable given both the limited amount of football that he's had but also the fact that he wasn't able to train for a long period of time because of this heart issue that he develops because of COVID. Thankfully now all, all okay after after scanning and, uh, and recovery and whatnot. Secondly, you've got Sam Byram, who essentially this weekend would have been asked after a 20-month layoff to go again. Um, two games in the space of four days for someone who hasn't played a, or stepped foot, certainly first team level, um, for, for, for 20 months. That's not that's not really safe, is it? It's not really uh, the duty of care that the clubs have to these players. It would not be right to send these players out, first and foremost, running on empty because I think the whole result of these injuries and COVID infections is a lot of fatigue amongst the players who are left. And a lot of people will go, oh, well, that's, you know, they get paid a lot of money, but there is a duty of care that football clubs have and there is a safety element to it as well. And Norwich, 
clearly feel, and the Premier League have obviously shared their view now that the game has been postponed, that ultimately the group of players left behind aren't where they need to be to fulfil a, a, a Premier League fixture. We we know how much effort goes into winning a Premier League game. There's so much effort that you have to exert. And I guess the long-term implications over a hectic, festive period are probably too great for Norwich City to send their players into battle this weekend. And, and it's that point as well, you know, even with clean bills of health in terms of illness and injury, or at least cleaner bills of health, this is a very testing period in terms of the load on players, you know, the the intensity of the games, um, you know, every two or three days really for a fortnight. Um, and that you, you're probably storing up a lot of certainly injury elements, you know, the fatigue factor, muscle injury type elements into January and February. And that's with going into in a reasonable healthy state. The situation clearly is Norwich are not in that place. So to have to sort of struggle through this period now with such a depleted amount of resource to Dean Smith, you know, we're getting back to the sort of fairness and and, and also the products, the quality of the product. You know, if Norwich are pretty much made to play through this period now then and come out the other side, then you know, what state are those players going to be in, really? You know, um, certainly not going to be the product that Premier League beam around the world and, and people, you know, willingly pay for. And, and ultimately, you know, decisions from people in these very high-ranking places in the Premier League will have to, I'm sure, weigh up the, you know, the financial imperative of keeping the show on the road against, you know, a product that isn't really worth it. And and part of that is also, yeah, the backdrop of playing games in empty stadia with piped music in certain cases, which was quite a torturous experience, uh, even though we were privileged to be in a lot of those project restart stadiums. It's it's not football that any of us want to really consume. But, uh, you know, I, I, can, I can see us being back there, clearly. Um, if these cases continue to rise, then, you know, it the element of the postponements because there isn't enough players is, is merely one aspect of it. You know, we were just about to, or will be if the Arsenal game goes ahead, you know, the, the, the COVID checks on supporters, you know, that's supposedly getting ramped up, which was seen as a counterpoint to, to rising case numbers. But I think it, you know, if we haven't got ahead of this curve in terms of, you know, the cases of this new variant, then, I don't see what spot checking people or asking people to fill in forms or whatever the whatever the procedures are going to be for supporters wishing to go to games in the very near future. I don't see how that that that's really limiting the, the spread of this latest variant. So it really does feel that we're probably now on the cusp of going back to you know games being off or games being played without any supporters in, in, in situ. I don't I don't see now how we how we continue with this product in any other form. Yeah, it, it feels like maybe maybe uh this country will end up following a similar lead to what Germany has done and it'll be restricted audiences, uh, socially distanced and back to back to that kind of thing, mask wearing um even outside uh, but again, it, as you say, it just impacts the whole product, doesn't it? And we saw firsthand of Project Restart just how grim that can be. Um, last season, I, I would argue it was slightly better, but maybe that's because Norwich were winning games. So my outlook on the whole thing felt a little bit different. Or, or perhaps we got it was a sad situation where we kind of got used to it a little bit more. Um, whereas Project Restart was so jarring compared to what had gone before. Um, 
who knows? But let's let's yeah, let's hope we we don't end up in in those situations. And then, of course, just to finally round off this debate on kind of COVID and where Norwich City are at the moment, there's a situation now where Norwich are going to have to fit in a, an extra game at some point during the season. Um, as we mentioned, this is already a particularly congested time um, in January as well. There become a points where, particularly given West Ham are still in the Europa League, uh, still in the Carabao Cup as well. There's quite a limited window for games to go on. There is this uh, proposed winter break at the end of January when uh, Norwich are effectively given a, a week off. It'll be two weeks off if they're knocked out in the FA Cup. Um, if not, then they'll pick up the, the fixtures with an FA Cup fourth round game. Will that have to be cut down now? Because I think uh, obviously there's been a big push for that amongst clubs in the Premier League. So so that's something the Premier League are going to have to consider. Um, they've been very um, sort of rigid on, on their end date of, of, what is it, May the 22nd, I think, because of all of the implications for the World Cup next season. So that feels like that's a non-starter in terms of extending the season, if, if need be. So again, we're, we're talking about the quality of the product. If we're going to have to fit more games into a more condensed period of time, ultimately, we're probably going to end up in a situation where we're going to get more teams that are tired. That would mean the quality of football is decreased and that will impact the overall quality of the product. So, again, even if it is business as usual, it's not business as usual because they're going to look at Spurs at the moment who have, what, three games to catch up on. Teams around them don't. The implications of that and the integrity of the competition is is completely different. So, even if we persist as we are, Pad, it doesn't particularly feel like the Premier League as a product is in the same place that maybe it was a month or so ago. Well, it isn't ultimately, no, because, um, and, you know, okay, the Premier League may be coming in for a, a degree of criticism um, in terms of how they are, the perception is that they're not really on top of this uh, from the aspect of fixtures and cancelling fixtures and what constitutes a cancellation. It seems very ad hoc and very on the hoof. And, uh, but but we, we can all appreciate it's, again, a very, even though we've been over this course and distance to a degree previously, uh, it is very, very. I mean, there's, there's no really, there's no right or wrong answer here. There's certainly no good answer, or as opposed to a, a poor answer. There's just degrees of mitigation. It feels like, and as you rightly say, there it might, it might well lead itself to continuing to play Premier League football, but in what type of environment? Be it supporters, be it the impact on players, be it players missing, and as a result, or the best players missing at least anyway, and and the impact in terms of the quality of the football on show. All of those may be the least worst case scenario if the alternative for the Premier League is, as happened in March 2020, right? Three months, no football at all. And, and then we'll pick it up again the other side. But for those points you made there in terms of the next season and that World Cup, Qatar, and, and the impact that that's going to have already uh, in terms of the start date, the finish date, and the chunk of season, domestic club season it's going to take for next season, it's very hard to try and think how they could do what happened in March 2020, which is essentially have a summer league or at least Project Restart was played in the summer. I don't see that being an option this time around. So, you know, ultimately it feels like the Premier League will will endeavour to do whatever it takes to ensure that the Premier League finishes when it's scheduled to finish in May. Um, and the steps to that are probably not going to be palatable to to all, all stakeholders involved. But ultimately, if they get by hook and by crook to a position where we get to uh, to May and, and the Premier League is concluded, then you know they'll they'll probably feel that's 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 they've delivered what they needed to deliver because really I don't see any other scenario. You know they're not going to they're not going to push it into the summer because that has a detrimental impact into next season's calendar and uh, 
as a result if as we fear these case numbers when we turn into the new year are at a point where you can't really have supporters in then there won't be supporters in that's top, that's the top and bottom of it because ultimately if that's the difference between playing games and continuing to as a result gain access to that broadcast revenue which keeps that keeps the game going let's be honest at premier league level that's that's a massive driver then that ultimately will be the overriding factor in all of this is keeping a product on the road so that they can keep the money rolling through the uh, the coffers yeah it does feel like the answer will be about which um least impacts the financial side of things uh, and as you said there if it is about playing again behind closed doors which nobody wants then that does feel like a solution but for all the criticism that maybe the premier league is getting about sitting with its fingers in his ears maybe maybe it is just waiting for a little bit a little bit of leadership from governmental level um which uh, who knows we, we may see at some point uh, to to move on then uh, pad if we if we start looking ahead a busy uh, festive schedule for Norwich city obviously with this west ham game that we don't know when that's going to be rescheduled but um, a lot of people's eyes, uh, maybe thoughts a little bit, will be will be heading towards January, naturally, because of the transfer window and that reopening. Um, this feels like, given we've now got a 10-day uh, 10 break, um, we, we could sit here talking about mince pies or Christmas or whatever, but I suppose we, we better stick to football. So if we look at January in particular, um, obviously the, the clamour from Norwich City fans is to see probably a new striker. I, I, I would say that's probably fair, given the lack of goals. Um, as we sit here today, first and foremost, what are your thoughts on that debate around, well, Norwich City aren't scoring goals, they need a striker. Is it that simplistic? And secondly, um, your thoughts as Norwich City head into, into January as well? Well, they have a striker who can score goals. I mean, he's got five of the eight that they've scored. It's just they, they're so over-reliant on him that when he doesn't score and, you know, Unless you unless you you go and I don't know clone Ruud van Nistelrooy or, or Ronaldo in his prime and go a goal a game, then it's inevitable he won't score in every game. So from that aspect, they do need a another to chip in and ideally another striker to chip in because ultimately uh, that's what strikers should be judged on. That's why you know they play at the top end of the pitch. And uh, but I think I think it is far more than just a debate about well if you get another striker and. That then we won't even go down the route of how you attract the, in terms of the financial outlay the type of striker they probably need because that's a that's a whole different debate. But even if you bring the striker in, is it is it immediately solve it? No, because as as was shown recently midweek, you know the, the lack of service to Pookie or the quality service was painful to watch. Really, you know the, the lack of creativity from those three across midfield, um, even in wide areas, they didn't really get up and support. Um, but you know, there are other games under Smith where we have seen, you know, the the connections around Pookie far, far better. And and no coincidence since Rashid has come out of the side, you know, there looks to be, again, a guy at the top end of the pitch who's almost, you know, on an island and uh, and, and trying to battle for aerial balls against the likes of Tyrone Mings. It's not going to end well. So it might just be once Rashid and, and Dean Smith indicated prior to Villa that Arsenal was a game he was targeting. So... To get him back in, and it, it might just be something like somebody in an attacking area who can get closer to Pookie and has that pace and directness to almost link between Pookie and three in midfield, if it is going to be continued to three across the central areas. Um, but it does it does feel for me that, yes, that is a valid point about the, the football that Norwich are playing in an attacking sense. 
and now they have to be far better, far more penetrative, far more um, nuanced in what they're trying to do. You know, Ozan Quebec launching balls from back to front. I don't, it's not, it's not a, in most Premier League games, it's not going to really translate into the goals they need to, to keep their heads above water. So, you know, it's partly about the style of play or the style that Smith is trying to impart on them with the ball in a progressive sense. But ultimately, I think it is also about resource and, and trying because Adam Eder, he's showing nothing that would suggest he's going to start weighing in. Josh Sargent, uh, no. Uh, we, we got into him in depth on on our Monday night club on the Pinkton Plus, and he certainly doesn't look like a man who's going to start weighing in with goals. So if it isn't to be pooky, where are the goals coming from in this squad? I don't see the answers. I really don't, unless, already mentioned him, unless Rashid's you know, gets that first one and then the confidence lift he gets from that and he goes on a nice little run and he's he's one of them streaky type of players, then unless it's him, I, I just don't see where the goals are in this side beyond Timu Puki. And so, understandably, Norwich fans will be craving something in that area incoming in January. But as we've already stated, if it was going to be a player who you feel could improve them attacking-wise, given the situation with the loan quota they've already filled, if that doesn't change, then it would have to be a permanent. And if it's going to be a permanent, then they haven't simply haven't got the funds as it stands to to attract the level of player, unless Weber and his recruitment brains have pulled off another Buendia-type deal um, who can come in and hit the ground running. But you know, you're placing a lot of store by their ability to sort of find, find I don't know, gold in amongst the kind of uh, the, the muck and nettles of some obscure European leagues. I just don't, I just don't see that. So um, it's a really tricky one and I don't know the answer to it ultimately. You know, you either the answer ultimately though, if your Dean Smith comes from within and it's getting a better tune out of this group of players and if that doesn't materialise between now and January, then you have to think the answer comes from without. But then if it comes from without, how the hell do they fund it? Yeah, quite. It, it feels like the run they're in at the moment is it's a bit like, well, how how do, how do they score a goal at the moment? It's uh, it's, it's what, eight, eight goals is it this season? Five of those have been from Timu Puki. And have the other three been set pieces off the top of my head? Um, oh, no, yeah. Norman from open play. So uh, yeah. two from from set, piece, set pieces and, and Norman as well. And there's a, a, a figure that... Uh, NCFC numbers on Twitter put out um, after the game on, on Tuesday, um, which reads only the Derby team relegated with 11 points in 2007-08 have scored fewer goals at this stage of a Premier League season than Norwich City's eight that they've uh, that they've scored. Um, that's a lack of quality, isn't it? And ultimately, for all the talk of Rashica coming back, he's not scored a goal yet and he's not no. set up a goal yet. So we're talking about someone with zero goals and zero assists coming in and, and probably producing however many goals Norwich City need, that's just not not going to happen, is it? Well, let's try and be positive, Connor. You know, oh, this, is very, this is a very I'm dark... Try, I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit. No, I'm no, hoping no. you're going to tell me, oh, it'll all be fine. I, well, I'm definitely not going to get that positive, but I, I'd like to think... Yeah, yeah, Rashid, that's a fair point. Rashita, no goals, no assists. So, probably is a little bit optimistic to assume he's the answer to all their prayers, but I don't know. There's just something about the guy's game that it felt like he was getting to a level where he could influence Premier League games in a real positive fashion. Um, but 
Yeah, I think I think that's ultimately that what you said there is is also valid. You know, there probably is a lack of quality. I think you know two different head coaches, sixteen, seventeen league games. It's enough sample of evidence to look at it and feel that you know is the quality there in attacking areas and uh, and the answer in terms of those stats you quote and the points tally and the position and league table is no, there isn't. But you know we probably knew that before a ball was kicked, but we hoped, I'm sure, that uh, the scale of the outlay in terms of the recruitment, yes, okay, they lost Wendia to Villa, but some of those players that they brought in, you know, the Jolices, the Sergeants, um, that, the Rashitzas, of course, that that they would bring goals and they would bring assists. And to this point, it hasn't happened. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't happen, as we move through this season, then it's inevitable that that recruitment again will be looked on less than favourably. Well, I, I was going to say for the early part of the season, a lot of the blame was was put on Daniel Farco. It's obviously easier in, in hindsight to look at it now. As you mentioned, this is now a different head coach looking at it from a different perspective. He still hasn't been able to solve the, the goals issue yet. They, they have improved as a team. I think anyone who's watched Norwich City over the last month would tell you now they're much more competitive. They, they, resemble at least off the ball and probably defensively as well a team that can keep themselves in games at Premier League level they didn't look like that before but ultimately they still don't look like scoring goals so do you, do you feel that the criticism of Stuart Webber and the recruitment from the summer and, and of course let's not forget that his recruitment two years ago was also um, was, was also put under the microscope and, and, and deemed not good enough as well so can you see the pressure on him ramping up over the next few months if, if that doesn't change with a different head coach, I guess, can you kind of see it if, my question really is, if, if things don't improve and Norwich don't improve their goals tally, is that going to be put on Stuart Webber rather than Dean Smith, do you, do you feel? Well, he'll, he'll definitely have to face those questions and has faced them already. You know, he did did that round of media pre-leads and, you know, even at that point, these questions about recruitment in, in the summer were being asked and he said they're, they're right to be asked because... Obviously, at that point and at this point, you know, the players I've just mentioned, uh, the attacking players they brought in in the summer, they hadn't delivered really in the Premier League in terms of goals and assists. So if they were valid pre-leads, they'll definitely be valid post-May at the end of this current campaign, if it, if it goes to plan, um, if they haven't produced. And, you know, it just feels increasingly that, and we know, we, we know why. We know, yes, for Norwich, large-scale outlay relative on individual players, when you get him ticking up towards nine, ten million pounds, you know, bar that mad January where they brought in closer and Naismith, you know, Norwich don't tend to spend in that multiple on players, and they did it two or three times in this past summer window. So for Norwich, that is some significant outlay. But if they've bought potential and players like Jolis, like Sergeant Rashita to a lesser extent, but players who are really not ready at this stage in the Premier League to impact games right now in the Premier League, then you have to question, did they set the set the measure between potential and end product? And they, did they get it wrong? And and they, given how Stuart Webber operates, if we get to May and Norwich have gone back down and their lack of goals isn't is one of the factors, I'm pretty sure he'll be fairly bullish. And uh, I mean, he, he, he claimed, you talked about that, Two seasons ago, that that's that summer window where you know is Ibrahim Amadou and Patrick Roberts financially they they couldn't do much else really. But he still owned that Weber. You know he said he let Daniel down the quote about the gun and going to war that gun. And uh, so this time around, 
there can't be any excuses. You know, they've spent for Norwich the money that would demand an upgrade in terms of their end product, certainly. Uh, and as yet, 16, 17 games in, another head coach at the helm hasn't happened. So, yeah, I've got no doubt whatsoever if this trend continues, then he will be getting a lot of flack for his recruitment. Mm, absolutely. Um, is it too simplistic at this stage to say Norwich City aren't scoring goals, they need a striker? Is that is that too simplistic of a statement at this stage? Is it actually the structure of their attacking play that needs improvement rather than... Um, and and may, again, maybe we're sat here again boiling it down to a lack of quality in those positions. Maybe they don't have the quality to go and affect games and score two goals, which ultimately they're needing at the moment because of the rate they're conceding in the last few games, that they would need to extract points from games at this level. So is it structure? Is it personnel? Is it that they need reinforcements in one position? Is it all of those things, I suppose? Um, what, do, what does it boil down to where Norwich City are heading into this January window where ultimately we're talking about a lack of goals and the solutions to that? Well, it's definitely not one or the other for me. It's not get a new striker, all our problems are over. And conversely, it's not nothing to do with the striker in terms of the identity. It's the lack of quality, the lack of service. I think you have to meld the two. And, um, but what I would say is even just narrowing the focus down to, to Smith's watch. Yes, they've lost Villa. That was poor by his own admission. They were miles off it in the first half. I think we'd all agree. Newcastle, they were very poor again. When the opportunity presented itself, they didn't, you know, in terms of Kieran Clark getting sent off after eight or nine minutes, they really didn't pick up the baton and, and run over the top of Newcastle that night. So, those two aside, even Tottenham, you know, Tottenham, there was enough positives for me in that game and they created some excellent chances, but they didn't take them and Tottenham did. But for me, if you if you take the Villa and take the Newcastle game out of it, I think we've seen enough from Dean Smith to echo your point that he has improved them and, he, and they have shown, albeit it hasn't translated into the goals and conversely the wins, but they have shown that they can worry teams at, in this league. Now, Weber, now, you know, as we move forward, we'll look back and, well, that was the tune he got out of them when he first went in and they were desperate to impress and they all raised their levels. Um, and it wasn't, you know, for certain individuals, it wasn't Daniel Farker anymore, who maybe one or two players had clearly decided wasn't for them. And that period was, was really a reflection of that rather than, you know, a, a seismic shift in terms of, what this head coach can get out of that group of players. And if that does prove to be the case, then yeah, ultimately it will come down to the quality isn't there. But at this stage, I still feel that there's more to come from this group of players. And and if that head coach with Shakespeare alongside him can extract it, then there is, for me, enough evidence in the, maybe three of the five games or three of the, is it six games under Smith on losing track yeah. six? Maybe three and a half of those six games to suggest that yes, we can expect more from this group of players, irrespective of getting anybody else in the building in January. But whether getting a little bit more out of these players is then translates into enough to win games and score plenty of goals, that's still the jury's out for me as well. Because, you know, you look around any of those teams down there with them and maybe Burnley aside, you know, they all look like they've got goals in them. And uh Ultimately, it's not just about Norwich's levels. It's about, well, these other teams. And really, for me, in this period, they're very fortunate that those teams are. I mean, Leeds getting smashed at Man City, um, you know, but Burnley, Watford, that none of those clubs have really started to pull away. Because if, if any of those had got themselves into a groove to magnify what Norwich haven't been doing in the last two or three games, then 
we'd be we'd be talking again almost the situation Farker left and Smith inherited, which is Norwich cut adrift and literally needing results just to get back in touch, not even to get themselves then above the waterline, simply to get back in touch. And that's what they're on the edge of now. If they don't start picking up some points very sharpish, it's not enough every week then to final whistle goes, how did X, how did Y get on? Oh, they got beat, great. We haven't lost any ground. Because eventually you would expect those clubs will start to put runs together. Um, so... Yeah, for me, no, it isn't one thing. It isn't get a new striker in. That's it, game on. Game on. It isn't. It doesn't worry about who the striker is. They need to be supported better. It's a combination of both because, you know, ultimately, whoever the striker is, they need service. And whoever the striker is, if it's not Timu Puki, they need to be able to come in and offer a goal threat. And singularly, that isn't the case in this Norwich group. So, yeah. He has a lot of issues to deal with, Dean Smith. No two ways about it. I mean, he will have known it was a huge job when he came in. He talked very glowingly about the quality that he'd encountered and how he was very surprised. Um, but maybe now in these last two or three games, he's beginning to realise some of the issues that Daniel Farker was dealing with as well. And uh, yeah, from here, it's going to take a hell of an effort to get them from where they are now to where they want to go to. Yeah, I think you could have Erlen Haaland up front at the moment and Norwich City would still be struggling to, to score goals. To I, be know, I, think, I think they might um, look more likely if he was playing up top, but yeah. Very, 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 very true. But as you as you said earlier, Puki is is effectively on an island, isn't he? How isolated he is at the moment. So yeah, maybe it's, it's a structural issue and a personnel issue, but ultimately it just feels like we, we end up talking about a lack of quality, doesn't it? Um, which is a, yeah. a, a little bit of a frustration. And Maybe the, the last two games magnify that because you come away from Manchester United and you think, oh, yeah, the performance was good. Norwich deserved to, to win the game, but they were beaten. And that was at their highest level, probably. Certainly one of the highest levels we've seen this season. And then you come away on Tuesday and you see the drop-off, as, we, as we've as we spoken about at length on here, plenty of mitigation behind that Villa defeat. But just how far off it they looked, that's them when they're not at their level compared to other teams who cannot be at their level and still win Premier League games. They're not really capable of that. So it feels like we end up ultimately always shifting the argument back to a, to a lack of quality, which is, um, which is a, a little bit of a shame. Uh, a few more, few more questions that we've got before we uh, round off. We'll be with you for about a few more minutes or so. Um, Archie has, has just said, sell Todd, but ultimately the issue is when you try and sell a player, you need someone to buy them. And um, on on recent ever, I'm I'm trying I'm not trying to be unkind to Todd, but on, on recent performances, it, it would be ultimately a team buying him off the back of what he did two years ago in the Premier League and what he did in the Championship, wouldn't it? Because at the moment, he for whatever reason um, doesn't really look like the player that we all hoped he would be, and hasn't maybe stepped into Emmy Buendia's shoes in the way that perhaps everyone hoped that he would. That that hasn't happened so far. Not to say it won't happen because we all know the quality he has. But if you're a buying team at the moment, I think you'd you'd want to watch the the second half of the season with real interest, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's let's be honest, he'd be the first to, to admit, and for various various reasons, we don't need to get into the whys and the wherefores. But he's played precious little football of a substantial nature, and he's certainly, a la all the other ones we've talked about in attacking areas, he's not weighed in with any goals and assists at Premier League level. So I'm not sure how how his reputation has been embellished on, on the evidence of what he's produced this season. So, yeah, I don't think there'll be any takers for him. If there wasn't any, if there wasn't, and we're led to believe there wasn't any real firm interest in the last summer window or the summer window before, 
what on earth has he done in the intervening period uh, for there to be too many takers? The only way there would be takers if Norwich were literally giving him away cut price. Um, and that's not how Weber operates, even for a guy who contractually is closing in on his sort of final season. But obviously with that option in the in, in the background that they would activate come next summer. So, no, I, I just I don't see it. And, and really, if, if I'm Todd Cantwell, just get your head down and do what you need to do to, if you think, you know, Norwich isn't the, the height of your ambitions, and why wouldn't he? Because, you know, he, he probably feels he can play like Wendy at higher levels of the game. Go and prove it and use use Norwich as a stepping stone. Because if you do that, then you'll have been good for Norwich in the in the whatever period is left of his Norwich career. Uh, and it'll be a win-win, as it was with Wendy, you know. Um, because what we're seeing from him now, that doesn't help him in terms of his next career move. It doesn't help Norwich either, clearly, in the here and now. So... Uh, he really just needs to block out anything else, all the external noise, and just get back to what he is, which is a talented, potentially very good Premier League player. But he's still very much talent and still very much raw and still very much potential. And how many more seasons have to slip by before we start talking about him in terms of, yeah, he is actually the real deal. Um, you know, was he 22, 23 now? He might even be, you know, there will be, he will, he will see it. He will have seen Ben Godfrey get his move. He'll have seen, you know, Emmy, Jamal, you know, his peer group all get a moves. And I'd imagine Max Aarons, if it's not in January, which I wouldn't think it would be at this stage, but if it's next summer, he's out the door as well. And if Todd Campbell's still here at Carrow Road, then you have to ask yourself, if you're Todd Campbell, what am I not doing that these other lads are doing? So, um, and he's an intelligent lad, as Dean Smith rightly said, you know, when he said he'd spoken to him after the, the, the sort of the halftime hooking against Southampton in his first game. He understands what he needs to produce. And now we need to see it. And that's all I really want to hear about Todd Campbell. I don't want to hear, you know, anything else about external sort of elements that might be impacting on why he's not playing or why he hasn't played or who he fell out with or who he didn't fall out with. Let's just see it on the pitch now. Just do your talking on the pitch, mate. That's all I'd say. Yeah, I, I concur. It's, it's been a real shame for me, actually, the, the way that this season has, has started for Todd and he's been unlucky as well. Obviously, we, we had the issue with Daniel Farker towards the end of his tenure, but watching him at the back end, I remember particularly QPR away at the end of the last season where he was excellent and he was kind of just drifting past players and it, it felt like he'd really taken an, maybe a step forward from when he was in the Premier League um, where he was scoring a lot of goals, but maybe wasn't impacting the games in the way that Emi Buendia was. And we kind of said, well, if you could combine the two and have Todd's output in the Premier League with what Emi Buendia produced, you'd have a hell of a player. Ultimately, Emi Buendia then went to produce what we probably, well, probably, oh, well, went well and above what we felt he could produce um, and got his move, as you say. So, yeah, I think that's right. We'll, we'll finish with this question from Isaac Lister, which I'll throw your way, Pad. Um, he said, do you think some of the downturn in performance is exasperated by the impact of COVID on our squad? Perhaps it is that um, our best 11 at a sufficient level under Smith, but not a depleted one. Well, not just COVID. I mean, uh, the injury to Rashita, uh, again, with the caveat, well, OK, he hadn't scored or assisted, but I think we could all see with our own eyes, you know, those games against Southampton, against uh, Wolves, um, what what an, what an improving player he was and, and able to, you know, really connect Norwich's sort of midfield to Pookie, um, bringing in to play the wide players as well. It, it, they just looked a better unit going forward with him in and um, and for him not to have been involved. I don't think it's a coincidence, is it? You know, Newcastle, what he would have done that night against 10 men, uh, massive, massive blow that was. And then, 
you know, even Tottenham and certainly United at home, he might have just been able to unlock the door, um, be it a goal, be it an assist. And uh, Villa, of course, yeah, goes without saying, you know, they missed him again. So, yeah, I wouldn't just narrow that down to COVID. It's just player unavailability, yeah. And uh, that might, in the wrong quarters, sound like excuses, but it's it's a factual statement. You know, if Dean Smith hasn't got Rashidza, if he hasn't got Matthias Norman, we've not really spoken about him, but, you know, Matthias Norman, is a shoo-in into that midfield three. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and not to have had him for, for quite a length of time now. Uh, it does, in a squad that maybe doesn't have the depth in terms of quality. I know Jakob Sorensen has rightly you know, been lauded for, for his impact in the last couple of games. But let's be honest, if it's Jakob Sorensen or it's Matthias Norman, we're picking Matthias Norman. So, you know, that has weakened Norwich midfield-wise. And I think Rashid's are out has weakened them as well. Um and even Hanley, I know he, he doesn't. He doesn't. Not everybody's the biggest Hanley fan, but I just think his his influence in that back line as well. I think um, over the entire piece, I think I'd rather have him than Quebec uh, for me. And uh, and obviously losing your captain in terms of the influence in the changing room as well. You know, the, these are these are key mitigating factors. But ultimately, Dean Smith isn't alone in having to deal with that. You know, pretty much every other manager, head coach in the Premier League will be without some of their better players that's the nature of the beast you just have to get on with it yeah absolutely we'll uh we'll, we'll end it there it's um it, it's going to be interesting obviously now the the run-up to christmas no game now until boxing day um at the earliest obviously we, as we spoke about earlier waiting for any decision maybe to be taken out of the premier league hands um maybe even at, at government level but of course like everyone else we, we, we're sat and waiting for for that but of course uh if when it does happen and um, pinkin.com the place to go um pinkin plus app as well if you're yet to download that then, uh, then then please do we've already got a significant number of people on there um plenty of good content as well just for an example today you and roberts has written a, a a pretty good column on Todd Campbell, which we, we spoke about um, very, very strong in terms of it, its opinion. So that's well worth a, a read, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. Um, plenty more um, content coming your way as well. I think if you if you still sign up now, I think until the end of December, it, it's, uh, it's 60 days free and then 199 thereafter. So do check it out. Pad, thank you very much. Um, if we don't see you before Christmas, I would imagine we probably will, given hopefully there'll be a press conference and whatnot next week. Then uh, from, from us to you, uh, a very Merry Christmas and uh, we'll see you again very, very soon. Thanks for watching.